everybody, and welcome to Colored Red. This is a podcast that's all about Colorado true crime. I'm your host, Laura, and this is going to be a short historical murder today. Today's story is brought to you by a recent story that's come to light about a murder confession found in Fountain, Colorado. And I know that sounds weird that they found a murder confession, but it's true. And it sounds like something that's exactly out of a movie. So this story came about a week ago in the newspapers, and it's been featured on Homicide Hunter, the show that we all love with Lieutenant Joe Kenda, who is a former Colorado Springs homicide detective. But in addition to the details about this confession, I found a little bit more information and I found a number of other weird things going on in small Fountain, Colorado over the decades. And we have murder, we have ghosts, we have bootleg hooch, and we have suicide, maybe. It remains to be seen. So everybody buckle up and we're going to head way back to Colorado during those old frontier days. So I've gone over some of the brief history before of Colorado, but I'll reiterate it again. Colorado operated as a territory from 1861 to 1876, when in 1876, it was officially admitted to the Union as a state. But obviously, there was plenty going on in Colorado long before it became a state. So in terms of the frontier settlement, it started really amping up, actually, in 1846, when the Southern Rocky Mountains were opened up more to official American settlement after Mexico was defeated and relinquished. Um, and they, they relinquished those territories in the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. So at any rate, from the mid to late 1800s, saw this mass move of people into the more Western territories. And they weren't coming out here for tech jobs and slot homes. They were coming in search of gold and other things to mine and land, ranch space, etc. Mining towns and railroad shipping towns were established all over the West. And Fountain, Colorado was one such town. And it was built in 1859 as this railroad shipping center and hub. And Fountain is about 10 miles south of Colorado Springs. And back then it was roughly 15 miles south of Colorado Springs, but now it's, you know, a little bit closer because everything's gotten larger. So almost immediately, um, Fountain started to see some weird stuff going on. They had maybe about 15 years, though, of peace and calm, but then it all started. In 1874, a Fountain man named William Van Endert, owner of this large ranch, came home to a ranch hand named Jeff Steele getting it going with his wife. So in the ensuing days, there was this weird tension between all three of these people in this home. And the ranch hand, Jeff Steele, um, without really a word, ended up coming up and shooting William Van Endhurt. And then he fled on his horse and he was never found again. But of course, William Van Endhurt died. And there was this local legend that metal chains were placed around the headstone of the murderer. But because Jeff Steele was never located, this is unlikely. And they're thinking that it was probably just someone else's grave that they found. But it is interesting that his last name was Steele. And those chains do not exist on any grave site in Fountain to this day. But this was a local legend for a long time. Then later on in 1889, a man named Adolph S. Hastings a night operator at the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Depot, was shot and killed by a group of robbers who stole about $4 from the cash drawer. Mr. Hastings then crawled himself to a local hotel while bleeding and shot, 
and he crawled through this window where he tapped on the shoulder of the um, hotel operator when he was sleeping in bed and mumbled about being robbed and then died right there on the hotel operator's floor. And the murderers were never found in that one. But at that time, that was one of the most gruesome and random, widely reported crimes that I think um, Colorado had seen. And it was all over the newspapers as they existed in the West back then. Then in 1890, a man's dead body was found by the tracks in Fountain and nothing was really determined about the manner of death. He was either thrown from or fell from or jumped purposely from the train and his neck was broken. And the body was identified as Robert Scotland, who worked nearby. And no one ever really contacted anyone about this guy or went looking for him. So that was just one of the many, many people who showed up dead next to the tracks back then. But by the time Fountain itself was incorporated in 1900, it had already had um, a weird sort of mass horrible event happen at it because it was known as the site of what was called the Great Blast. And the Great Blast was a train wreck that occurred just after 3 a.m. the morning of May 14, 1888, when a train carrying 18 tons of explosives collided with a passenger train in the center of town on the same track. This crash killed three people, and I'm really surprised it wasn't more, to be honest with you. It maimed many more people, and the sound of it could be heard for miles and miles. It destroyed a church and a grocery store in completion, and it created this very large crater in the ground that was about 40 feet wide and 15 feet deep. And the crash was actually caused by vagrants who had boarded the train carrying the explosives. And what they did was they murdered the conductor and then disconnected the part of the train carrying the body of the conductor and the explosives. And these vagrants sent that part of the train in the opposite direction that they were going down the tracks. And they were going further the other direction on the other part of the train. And that is when this train that was manned by nobody other than this conductor's dead body crashed with the passenger train in the center of Fountain. And those vagrants, as was the case with so many things back then, were never caught. So Fountain, Colorado got off to a real rocky start. And the decades would hold a fair bit of drama, um, one piece which wouldn't be discovered until a man named Jen Eggleston was remodeling his old Fountain, Colorado home in 1986 with his daughter. He handed his daughter a piece of molding that he had pulled off of a window and noticed handwriting on the back of the wood board. Eggleston turned the piece of wood into the police and the Colorado Bureau of Investigation tried to read the entire board, which was difficult to read because the writing on it was done in pencil. The words that could be made out, and this was why he turned it into the police, were I, John W. Spicer of the City of Fountain, and then they saw the words willfully murdered and the date, 1893. So this man found a piece of wood in his home with a murder confession on the back of it nearly 100 years after the murder had occurred. The house that this was found in was built in 1899 and it was one of the first two-story homes in Fountain at that time. The house was owned by the Perkins family and it was built by a man named John Spicer and 
that's the same exact name as is in the confession. John Spicer was a carpenter who helped build a lot of homes in Fountain during this time. John Spicer, presumably racked with guilt, wrote this confession onto a piece of wood and nailed it inwards as a window frame in this house that he was in the middle of building for a different family. The police force in Colorado as an entity wasn't created until 1901. And before that, they had what was called deputy marshals, who were just like sheriffs you see in old Western movies, pretty much. Um, They had maybe a couple of other dudes with them, and they were all the law in any particular area. And they would often shoot, and in the words of Lieutenant Joe Kenda, dispense justice right on the spot. Like, there was no trial, there was no questioning, there was no evidence. It was just like, they would go after people. The marshal wasn't a homicide investigator, so information about this murder that could have taken place was non-existent. Um, There was rarely ever murders really written down and recorded, unless they were a big deal and the newspapers got involved. Um, But one of the investigators in 1986, looking at this old board, was named um, Larry Martin. And he decided to look through some old newspapers, and he found details about a woman named Marguerite Buckley, who was helping find headstones for the Spicer family, among others, and he contacted her, and she revealed that John Spicer was her father, and she was 89 at this time in 1986. Marguerite explained to the detectives that her father, John Spicer, did a lot of odd jobs to put food on their table. But when her dad wasn't working odd jobs, he was a prolific alcoholic and a very mean drunk. And she actually poured his whiskey for him. Basically, he would call her over and she would pour him a shot for whatever reason. And she would do this with a real heavy hand because she just wanted him to pass out quicker. She explained that he was also a gambler, which almost every dude was back then. Drink and gambling just went together back then. Marguerite was very disheartened to see that they had found the confession from her father. And she asked detectives to leave immediately because she was upset about it. And this gave them the impression that they had touched on some sort of nerve with her and a dark secret within her family. The history of Fountain, Colorado is fairly closely connected to John Spicer. In 1859, um, Fountain was founded by three families who settled there. Amos and Mary Terrell, Tom Owens, and Matthias and Barbara Locke. The daughter of Matthias and Barbara Locke, Hovina Locke, would go on to marry John Spicer and be Marguerite's mother. John Spicer apparently could weave a tale because he would tell Marguerite's mother, Hovina Locke, that he had actually led Theodore Roosevelt himself on a bear hunting trip through Colorado. And I'll have an image of John Spicer and his wife, Hovina, up on the Instagram for you guys. So with this idea of who John Spicer was in mind, and with the idea that maybe he could spin a tale, um, the CBI deciphered the name of the victim who was named on the plate that, or on the piece of wood that they found in the house, and he was called John Sebastian. And they actually ended up finding a record for a John J. Sebastian from 1893 working for the railroad company in Colorado Springs. So the detectives head back to talk with Marguerite, who at this point is ready to air out a new story, which she says was told to her by her mother, who heard it from her father. The story is that John Spicer was hired to build a fence when he heard a man sneaking up 
behind him wanting his money. And her father then struck the man in the head and killed him in self-defense. And he searched through this man's pockets and tried to determine who the man was, but didn't know who he was. So Marguerite's story at this point is that her father, John Spicer, killed a man in self-defense and that he wasn't proud of it. But this story doesn't make really any sense at all, because why would John Spicer write the name of the man clearly on that piece of wood, but tell his family that he didn't know who the guy was? And why would he go to the effort of writing this secret on the back of a piece of wood when basically all he did was kill a man in self-defense? So at this point, the CBI figure out the rest of the board. And John Spicer says that he killed John Sebastian purposefully for $5,000 worth of cash and jewelry. And $5,000 isn't exactly nothing nowadays, but back then it was a ton of money. And this kind of money wasn't something that a man earned working for the railroad. So either he struck gold in the mountains or he got it through gambling. And who was a gambler? John Spicer. So it was now presumed that John Spicer and John Sebastian did know each other. They drank together and they gambled together. And it's thought that John Sebastian then won all of this off everybody, including their jewelry, and John Spicer killed him to get it back. John Spicer himself wrote on the board that March 1st, 1893, he murdered John J. Sebastian with a club for his money and jewelry. And the exact confession said thus. To whomever may happen to find this confession on or about the first day of March, 1893, I, John W. Spicer, did kill and willfully murder with a club one John J. Sebastian for his money and jewelry to the value of $5,000. The hope that when I'm gone, this confession may be found and at last clear up the greatest mystery that ever embraced one human in murder and prayer for the partial salvation of my soul. It was later determined that John Spicer moved to Florida and died in the 1940s. So with no one around to arrest or anyone to ask anything more about the case, the case was closed and the wood piece with the confession written on it was donated to the Fountain Valley Historical Society and Museum, where it can now be viewed and is called the Murder Board. But this wouldn't be the last of some weird deaths in Fountain. In 1904, a man named James Cronin drunkenly fell off of a train and was found later partially dismembered but still alive before finally dying. In his pocket was a letter from his parents wishing him well and a letter from a woman in Pueblo presumed to be his sweetheart telling him, quote, Brace up, Jim. Stay away from saloons and do not drink. And he was presumed to be around 40 years old when he died. And he's now buried in Evergreen Cemetery in Colorado Springs. Over the next few decades, several marshals chasing gamblers and local men would be murdered by robbers, vagrants, and other gamblers who all stopped into Fountain for one reason or another. And there's also quite a bit of ghost activity in Fountain, including those of an old man, young woman, and little girl that appear apparently all the time when there is digging around near the countryside. The old man walks around just looking grumpy, and this man can appear apparently anywhere, like behind you in your house or even inside of your closet. So there is a story of one man coming home and finding an old man mumbling inside of his closet who then just disappeared. The people in town see the young woman 
and say it looks like she's wearing sort of a little house in the prairie dress and that she looks really, really sad. And the little girl can be seen running through houses in the area. And it surprises people who have kids. And I would suspect people who don't. Because at first, out of the corner of their eye, they think it's their kid. And then they see the girl just run through a wall or something like that. And these ghosts are seen all over the town day and night. These three different ghosts. Fountain also had a female uh, mayor elected in 1942 named Wandon Kane. And because this was wartime and gas was rationed, she opened up a health clinic in town for women and babies who could not get to Colorado Springs. She also pushed for the pasteurization of milk, which is basically the sterilization of milk. And she opened a clinic for venereal disease, which at that time was really rampant in connection with Fort Carson Army Base near Fountain. But Wanda Kane was best known for her showdown with another woman named Edith Halcombe, a woman who was running an abortion clinic out of her house in town. Edith was run out of the town by Mrs. Kane, and she went to Pueblo to continue her business, which was also fraught with controversy there. The building in town where Edith performed these abortions, and where she also had an antique store, of all things, like abortion clinic, antique store combo, um is still known as the Ark. And the Ark is supposedly incredibly haunted as a house. The attic door can be heard opening and closing constantly, and it will never really stay locked, apparently. And here's here's a really weird detail that I keep imagining. The Northwest bedroom was also a particularly odd room because when the house was purchased by someone else in 1958, they discovered that everything in the room was painted black. Everything, the walls, the floor, the ceiling, the windows, the fixtures, the handles, everything. The room was entirely black inside and it was never figured out why. So that's it. There's some weird history in Fountain, Colorado, including a murder confession that was nailed to the inside of a window. So I think everybody should go check out the Pioneers Museum in Colorado Springs there's a lot of information about the often and very wild history of Colorado there. And there's also a historical society uh, museum in Fountain. And that's where the murder board can be viewed for you guys. So as I said before, I'm going to have a few pictures up on Instagram, including the house where this uh, board was found and including a picture of John Spicer and his wife. And As always, the Patreon is open. If you guys just donate $1 per month, you'll get a sticker and a personalized card from me. So until next time, everybody, thanks. Mm -hmm.